This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello, and welcome to Slate Money Travel. I'm Felix Salmon of Axios. I am here with probably the best traveled person I know, and the most interesting, and the funniest, and generally the most <laughs> awesome, Lydia Polgreen. Welcome. Ah. Oh. Felix, it's so great to be here. It's... I am such a fan of your podcasting <laughs> and of your writing and uh, of your cooking, of your hospitality, of so many things. So it's it's just a thrill and a delight. It's, it's We are going to have an amazing conversation. We are going to talk about a lot of Africa in this conversation. We're going to talk about Mali and um, the Democratic Republic of the Congo and how often we wind up changing planes in Paris, but we're also going to talk about private jets and the Cannes Advertising Festival and generally just like what it's like to travel in some of the craziest parts of the world, including kind of the most amazing shower situation that I think anyone's ever <laughs> going to hear about. Um, but before we get to any of that, tell us a little bit about who you are. I keep asking myself that question. Who am I? <laughs> yes. No, I um, I am an opinion columnist for the New York Times. Um, that's my current job. I've been doing that for, I don't know, a little over a year. Um, and uh, that's a really fun job. It takes me to lots of interesting places. Uh, before that, I ran a podcast company at Spotify, which was a strange thing for me to do. Before that, I was the editor-in-chief of HuffPost. And uh, before that, I spent many, many years as a foreign correspondent and then an editor at the New York Times. And so a lot of the things we're going to talk about now are my my uh, exciting adventures as a, as a foreign correspondent in Africa and Asia uh, for the New York Times during the kind of salad days of of my life anyway. Your best days are ahead of you, Lydia, because you have a budding career as one of the top podcasters on the planet. <laughs> well, I, I mean, my goal is to give you a run for your money, uh, Felix. Um, so yes, you are, I, you have I also... already long surpassed Slate Money. What, what is your <laughs> podcast? And, and yeah, tell us about that. I uh, co-host a podcast called Matter of Opinion, and it is a delightful uh, weekly conversation with uh, my colleagues and fellow columnists, uh, Ross Douthat, Carlos Lozada, and Michelle Cottle. And we talk about the big issues of the day. Um, we try to bring some intelligence to those conversations, and we also try to have a little bit of fun. It's a banter podcast, just like Slate Money. We're substantive banter, just yes. like Slate Money. Exactly, substantive, substantive banter. banter. Yeah. So we are going to have some substantive banter coming up on Slate Money Travel. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and... 
1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. First of all, just to set the stage here, tell us a little bit about how much traveling you do. I do less than I used to. Um, you know, I could tell the story through my airline status, yeah. um, you know, which is, I think, a, so I, I was, you know, for years, a diamond medallion member of Delta, you know, and that meant that I was just flying everywhere, all over the world, all the time, traveling. And and I sort of have two distinct phases in my travel life, right? There was the time when I was a foreign correspondent where I was going to war-torn countries and far-flung strange places and, you know, often doing interesting recreational travel adjacent to those things. But, you know, it's like, oh, what's the best way to get to Bungie from from Dakar, you know? And it, it turns out the best way is actually to fly through Paris. Um, so there's, there's sort of like that chapter of my life, which was about 10 years from, you know, 2004 to sort of 2014. And then I came back to the United States and I became an editor and then a quote unquote media executive. And then that kicked off another, another sort of era of travel, which was much more kind of going to stay in posh hotels and, you know, glamorous capitals and like have, have business meetings and things like that. So, so really like two, two very, very different forms of, of travel. I, I, I must say, uh, I preferred the uh, former to the latter, um, just as a general disposition. And now I mostly do the former again, like meaning I, I travel to, to, to generally sort of difficult and exotic places, um, but 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 less than I used to. I'm I'm not like when I was a jobbing correspondent and just kind of hopping on a plane every other every other you know day to to go to some place where there was a coup or a epidemic or something. But still, every month. Less than that, but still, but you know, quite a bit. So, like the last sort of like big, I mean, I was just in 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 Denver for a reporting trip now, which you know is not exotic at all. Although <laughs> Denver is a beautiful city, but like so, for example, um, earlier this year I went to Chad. Uh, it is right next door to Sudan, um, and in fact, it borders the Darfur region of Sudan. And in my previous career as a foreign correspondent, I spent a lot of time covering the conflict in Sudan. So, again, um, you know, Ch- Chad, not an easy place to get to. Um, turns out the fastest way to get there is to fly. Uh, to Paris and then from Paris to N'Djamena, which is its capital, and then get on a little UN charter flight to the border. And uh, so, yeah, that that kind of travel I, I still do. And and uh, and it's interesting and exciting. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have called that trip fun, but it was uh, it was certainly interesting. Is is Paris to Africa what Miami is to Latin America? The place where weirdly you have to change planes in order to get from anywhere to anywhere. You know, it's amazing the, the the way in which the scramble for Africa really explains how one gets from point A to point B on the continent. You know, um, Anglophone to Anglophone. Um, you know, you you you'll route through um, London Heathrow. It's it's even more striking in the case of of, of French speaking countries because um, the primary relationship is to the metropole, right? Like it's to it's to France rather than to your French speaking neighbor next door, right? So the fact that I lived in Senegal. Um, and it was easier to fly to Paris to get to another francophone country in West or Central Africa, I think sort of tells a real story about uh, the colonial history of uh, France in, in Africa. So tell me about the Chad trip and the many trips like it that you have done over the years. The first, the first thing I'd love to ask is, 
comparing that to what you used to do pre-pandemic, has there been any change? Are we back exactly to where we were? I've been so shocked at how much uh, travel seems back to where it was. You know, I sort of thought like, oh, the flight, the planes will be emptier and there'll be fewer, you know, it, but no, it's, it's, it's just very, very, very full on. Um, and I, I was just in, in Denver, right, for this, for this work trip. And I was shocked to see that the line for clear was actually longer than the regular line for TSA pre-check. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, how does it, how, how has like travel in America become so chaotic once again, so quickly? This, um, this reminds me of um, boarding a plane to Zurich once when I went to the World Economic Forum in Davos. And the line for the business class VIPs was longer than the economy <laughs> class. <laughs> I, I, I sort of love when that happens because it's a it's like a form of justice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, I think I think probably the biggest change and this this actually doesn't have much to do with the pandemic. But the biggest change is actually sort of security. You know, early in my career as a foreign correspondent, I could go to a place like Chad and travel around in a very low profile way, right? This is a this is a country that has been, you know, suffered through military dictators and, you know, coups and um, civil wars and things like that. And yet I could sort of quite comfortably just get in a private car um, in the kind of vast arid borderlands between Sudan and, and Chad and just sort of wander around and report, you know. And um, now I think the world has become so much more dangerous that, that, it's, that it's actually very, very difficult. So, so when I got to the, the, the border region of Chad, the local Chadian authorities required me to hire a little team team of, of Chadian soldiers. I mean, I think this was partly just, you know, a way to kind of line the line the pockets of of the, you know, the colonel in charge. But, um, you know, I had to hire a second vehicle that was going to follow the, you know, sort of brawny four wheel drive that we were using to go across these rivers and things like that. Um, I had to get a second vehicle to hold these like, you know, super kind of muscle bound, um, you know, machine gun toting uh, Chadian soldiers who were essentially my like protection. I'm sure you've you've put through many crazier expenses than that in your time. Well, and 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 also like how do you get a receipt for that? You know, <laughs> like the colonel like is not, you know, so it's a uh, you know, you come home with all of these like handwritten receipts that you've made yourself and your uh the bean counters just kind of have to trust you, but uh, you know, you you build up you build up credibility over time. Um, but you know, my favorite thing to do is to find something really, and I didn't get to do this on the Chad trip because it was a bit rushed, and and also Chad offers fewer opportunities for this sort of thing. But you know, I, I remember a, a trip that I took in Congo, um, you know, the Democratic Republic of Congo, when I was a correspondent there, and it was you know sort of at the height of the civil war, and I, I was planning to do this kind of two day trek to a, a an illegal tin mine, you know, that was, there was no roads to get there. And so the only way was to walk. And I was a little concerned about my kind of overall physical fitness. And I was like, am I really ready to do this like two day walk through the jungle? And so I decided as a kind of run up to it that I was going to take uh, what was this kind of like popular trek that the uh, that the aid workers who worked in this part of Eastern Congo. And for, the, for your listeners who don't know, I mean, Congo has been engaged in a, um, in a civil war that has been going on for a very, very long time. It's commonly called the, the, the deadliest conflict since World War II. It's, you know, like a big complex conflict. It's been going on for a very long time. But, you know, so there's this huge aid apparatus there. And there's also a live volcano, like a volcano that's like got a cauldron of like, of like bubbling lava at the center of it. And one of the things you can do 
in this city that I was in, or this town really, is actually hike up to the lip of the volcano and then camp overnight on the on the on the lip of the volcano. Um, and like in most places where you would do something like this, there would be like switchbacks, and you know you'd be sort of you know you're walking up a mountain because that's essentially what a volcano is. But because we were in Congo um, and no sort of like park service had built a you know a system of switchbacks to take you up this this volcano, you basically were walking up the path that the lava had taken when it came down and 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 uh, and, and inundated the, the the town of Goma, which which is where where I'd been staying. I, I will also just say that like the Lydia Paul Green conception of popular, when you said this was a popular hike among the local, <laughs> <laughs> it's like well, you know, it's not it's not exactly Mount Fuji here. No, it's not Mount Fuji, but it is. It was it was an incredible experience. But the but the the problem was if my theory was like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way up to this two day hike. Like, but because I'd done this like sort of vertical climb, um, my legs basically were like like frozen in agony for like a week after. So, so I actually ended up, I think having to postpone like by a few days, the, the, the actual reporting trip that I was going on that was, that was, you know, much more important than this, you know, sort of semi record. I did end up writing about the, the, the hike up to the lip of the volcano. Everything but, um, is content. Everything is content, and that's been true. I mean, this, this, these are things. These are events that took place, you know, in in the early aughts or the mid aughts, I should say. So even back then, everything was content. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend it if you find yourself. Um, I, I had another really great travel experience, which was going to see gorillas in Eastern Congo. Um, most people do it in Rwanda, which is a little bit safer, or Uganda. But um, again, highly, highly recommend uh, if you've ever, if you've ever had the opportunity to come face to face with uh, with our primate ancestors in the wild. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. So next time you find yourself in the middle of a war zone, just ask yourself, self, are there any gorillas here? Because that would be a... <laughs> <laughs> and and, and G O R I L L A, right? Not gorillas. Because there well, maybe probably you can will be the gorillas. Two. I mean, I think that uh, I, in some ways, I feel like my life has been a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a gorilla slash gorilla tour, you know? We need to have some ads, but after this, I'm going to ask Lydia how much cash she carries on these wild trips. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, I tell the story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced. I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people came here, ransacked my computer. And I, I got people threatening me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's rebel billionaire on the slow newscast, wherever you get your podcasts.
This is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. When you travel in these places i'm going to assume you're not exactly whipping out your platinum amex card this is all very cash based cash based <laughs> tell me a little bit about just the mechanics of traveling with large amounts of cash and how much cash do you take with you on these trips the truth is it's never enough right like you think that you have enough cash and then it runs out so i'll give you an example i one of the last stories i did as a foreign correspondent was um mali which is a you know big country in in west africa uh french-speaking landlocked country there was a uh an islamic um um you know sort of militant group uh you know kind of an, a cousin of, of of isis that overran the northern part of the country and so i I, you know, at the time I was living in Johannesburg, I flew up to Mali and um, our destination, because they had these these militants had uh, had 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 basically like declared as their capital, the city of Timbuktu. And and as it happens, this was my second trip to Timbuktu. I had already been to Timbuktu once. So did, did you um, have to go to Timbuktu from Wagadougou? <laughs> You know, I just feel like like uh, like lugubrious, like Wagadugu is just a wonderful, wonderful word to say. It really you know, is. like it just fills your. Yeah. I have been to Wagadugu, and it's actually a lovely, lovely place. I think you know, it's 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 definitely had some some difficulties of late. There's been a coup in Burkina Faso, and uh, it used to be called Upper Volta, which is which is a also kind of a nice name. Yeah. Um, but 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 Burkina Faso, I think, is 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 even better. Um, so you're trying to get to Timbuktu and um, you only have so much cash with you and you're also in a war economy, right? So you have a lot of people who are competing to get hotel rooms, which are limited. Like there's only a certain number of hotels that have like electricity, running water, those kinds of things that you need in order to like operate your satellite phone. Uh, there's only so much food. There are only so many four wheel drive vehicles that will take you where you need to go. Um, you know, I left to Mali with, I don't know, I. I would probably say maybe $10,000 in cash. And, um, you know, you sort of divide it up and put it in different parts of your luggage and you, you know, like have various ways of I'm not going to share my trade secrets of, of hiding it. But eventually it does run out. And what do you do when you are in uh, Timbuktu, which has just only very recently been liberated from an Islamic, uh, you know, sort of militant uprising? There are no banks, there's no nothing. And you're sort of at the mercy of 
of of strangers or or in in my case I was lucky with of friends uh, fellow journalists who were there who had some extra cash and I could kind of borrow and and sort of figure it out. But it's a constant. I mean, it's 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 this thing this 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 sort of ledger that's always going in the back of your mind when you're on a trip like that, like. Okay, how, what is my cost per day of doing this work? Um, how much do I have to pay my translator? How much do I have to pay for the car? How much is it? And you sort of watch your supply of cash dwindling. And you also know that you have it kind of, you know, kind of secreted in different places. And so you have to have like a mental map of like what's in different different <laughs> spots in case. I, so it is, it's, you know, yeah, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a platinum Amex and it, it, it can be, it can be quite, quite stressful. But the other thing is that, you know, moving cash into distressed places, like that's, it's a constant need, right? So like, you know, whether it's Western Union or, you know, all of these various, there are ways to get, to get money um, if you absolutely need it. Um, but you have to be careful because like, if you plead poverty, sometimes you'll end up in a, in a, in a very strange situation. So again, this is another thing that happened to be in West Africa. Um, I was covering a Tuareg uprising in Northern Niger and, uh, you know, the, 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 the Tuaregs are very famously, um, you know, they're, they're great at sort of putting on these like very exciting tours of the Sahara Desert. Um, and, and, you know, when they're not fighting a rebellion, they're actually like tour guides, you know. So when they encounter a journalist who's like, I want to come and write about your re- rebellion, they're like, hmm, yes, but also we can put together this wonderful tour package for you to like, <laughs> you know, climb the dunes and ride camels. And I'm like, I'm not really there for that. So I pleaded poverty and they were like, okay, well, fine, then you can take the, the bus for two days and just meet us. <laughs> there. <laughs> so, uh, so I played myself and, and, and we ended up taking this bus and, and, and this bus was like a kind of broken down, you know, like almost like a city bus. And, um, and it, it did actually break down and, you know, we ended up, you know, sort of by the side of the road in the middle of, 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 you know, sort of some godforsaken wasteland for a day or two. I do want to ask about the degree to which cash has been replaced by itself and because famously across much of africa now there's like been this explosion of mobile money and this is meant to make life a much you know much easier for everyone yeah you'd think i mean that was not my experience in chad i mean you know there was a very strong interest in 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 cash on the barrel head um, and the cash just to be clear that you're paying on the barrel head this is good old-fashioned american hundred dollar bills right uh, well, no, actually, in Chad, um, they have their currency is backed by uh, is backed by the euro, right? And it's uh, it's 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 like the Central African franc or something. And so, so you know, they're 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 really just not interested in dollars at all. So they you actually to, want their local CFA francs. Yeah, they want their local CFA francs in there, but the, but you know because it's a because it's a euro backed currency, it has the, essentially the same the same kind of like stability as the dollar would. But you know, for example, like you know, if you go to a place like Zimbabwe, so so that 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 was a that was a fun trip, and I went to Zimbabwe a few times. You know, like you could buy kind of like souvenir um, billion Zimbabwean dollar um, notes because you know there, there was such hyperinflation in Zimbabwe over time, and I ended up writing a story actually about a real crisis that was that was unhappy that was happening at the time and they 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 dollarized because you know inflation was such a huge problem and um but but the problem is that like if you if you dollarize like a dollar is actually a lot of money in a place like zimbabwe right so like if you're buying a bunch of bananas like a bunch of bananas you know will cost 
20 cents, 25 cents, but they don't have any coins because coins are very heavy. It's not like you, it's not like you take coins to, you ship a, you know, boatload of coins to Zimbabwe. So they had to create this like elaborate system of like credit notes and chits and like getting people to buy more than they actually needed in order to like give people change for a dollar. Um, and, and I ended up writing a, a story ab- ab- about that, 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 that uh, ran on the front page of the New York Times. So one of the occupational hazards of being a financial journalist rather than a foreign correspondent is that every time you meet a certain type of source for lunch at a fancy restaurant in New York, they'll be like, I brought you back a billion dollar note from Zimbabwe. (laughs) 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 You always have to feign surprise. Oh my God, that's amazing. And I I, I have, I think quite a collection of those at this point. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It was, it's a, it's a, it's, I would imagine it's a popular gift for a person such as yourself. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously if you, you, you have a pretty unique job, if you didn't have to, like, how often would you find yourself in, you know, a top of volcano? It, I feel like for those of us who don't do it professionally, like, it's the barriers to getting there are, are still pretty enormous. Uh, what I found was that, like, once I stopped doing, you know, because I had this this period when I was a quote-unquote media executive, um, I, I always put that in air you quotes because I think it's a media silly. executive. <laughs> I, I know. You worked for I just, a large Swedish multinational. I did. And I also worked for Verizon, which is uh, literally the phone company um, (laughs) because they owned HuffPost. Right. Right. And um, when you're in that kind of a job, you're doing a very different kind of travel. So like I, you know, several years in a row went to the 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 Can Lion Festival. Right. Which you've probably been to that. I've Um, I've weirdly never been to that festival, but I've heard amazing stories. And I feel like I feel like you're going to give me your private jet story here. <laughs> well, so so um, you're just—it's like a different thing. So this is like a big advertising festival, and all you know, all the big media companies go, all of the big kind of like ad buyers go, and you know, there's like this this huge competition between these different corporate entities to like one up one another. Like, um, you know, Vice, for example. I mean, remember Vice? Vice News. Um, sorry, that's my dog. R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. Uh, well, it's still there, but it's you know a shadow of. Its former self. So they, they like there was famously this like party that Shane Smith, the former CEO of, of Vice, would have, and it was very hard to get an invitation, and it was very secret where it was. Sometimes it would be on a yacht, sometimes it would be in a villa that you'd have to like take a helicopter to or something like that. And so, um, so everyone's trying to kind of like one up one another uh, to have these like incredibly lavish, lavish, lavish parties. And of course, it's all about like trying to sign that big ad deal and get you know attention and whatnot. And so that's just like a completely different form of travel. So, so, so I once went to this when I worked for Verizon and then I, I had to get from, uh, from Cannes and the closest airport to Cannes is in Nice. Um, I had to get from there to a conference in Turin that was about like newspapers or something. And like all of the top publishers, including Jeff Bezos, uh, who had, you know, since bought the, the, the Washington Post were going to be there. And, you know, Verizon felt it was very important that I go, but the only way that I could make it from my keynote speaking slot at Cannes Lions to this newspaper doing this panel was to uh, take the the Verizon jet. I'm going to assume that the leather of the seats was buttery. You know, the, the leather of the seats was 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 buttery. Um, I will say that uh, 
for reasons that I'm actually like not really sure there's there's and this didn't matter in this case because um, because I was uh, it was a very, very short flight. But I subsequently learned that there was and it, it was also at the middle of the morning. But I subsequently learned that there was actually no alcohol on the Verizon corporate jet. Um, uh, and, and I later ended up going with a group of other Verizon executives on a corporate jet from from um, from New York to 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 Cannes. It was an overnight flight. And I was like, oh, wow, there's there's no alcohol on here. It's it's great to be able to talk to someone who does the you know two day broken down down bus journey through the Sahel and also the Verizon corporate jet across the Atlantic thing <laughs> <laughs> because like you are one of the few people who can look back and say you know just just in terms of the experience of traveling which one would you rather do. I do love going to places off the beaten path. I, you know, like I'm always up for adventure. I think it's really fun to, 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 to see things that are not kind of the things that everybody sees. I mean, that's why we become journalists, right? Because we're, we're curious and, 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 and want to know about things before other people know about things. I mean, I don't know. I, my, my, um, my, my, my wife, Candy, who you, who, you know, also, and who's a, a photographer, she and I used to, used to travel and go on assignment together sometimes. And she, uh, she and I did this amazing trip in Gabon and, um, and it, in, it involved like, you know, this, absolutely excruciatingly long bumpy car ride and um she turned to me at one um at one point uh as we were trying to get to this like jungle paradise to you know write about like all of the amazing wildlife there and she said to me um there's a bar in my back meaning that like there was a bar kind of like uh you know and so i turned to her and i said well could you make me a gin and tonic (laughs) (laughs) but that trip was amazing I mean, we, once we once we got to the lodge where we were staying, like, you know, like I, I asked the guy there, I said, OK, well, how how do we like, where is the where's like, where does one take a shower? You know, uh, where's the bathroom? And he sort of pointed off in this direction, this path. And I've got my little headlamp on my head and I'm walking down this path and walking down this path. And I was like, this seems like a very strange and long way to get to a shower. And I got to the end of the path and it was a waterfall. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm here with like my little kit, you know, like my soap and my, you know, and like my my sort of uh, chamois, like you know, pack towel, and I'm imagining sort of like a grotty cement block, like set of showers, and instead, it's like this, you know, like Edenic scene in the middle of a rainforest, you know, um, like showering under a waterfall. I mean, like the the private jet crew pay millions for that. They would. They would. Uh, they don't. I don't think that they would manage the car journey very well. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they would. And they, they would, would also require some that. Wi-Fi when they got back to the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Lydia, this is this is absolutely amazing. I want to go on all of your travels with you. Um, I feel like I can. I feel like there's a way of doing this. I will just travel also with cash and then I will realize that all of the foreign correspondents will need cash and I will do the money lending thing. <laughs> and I will I will pay for my journeys just by just by lending out cash at exorbitant interest rates to the New York Times. To desperate foreign correspondents. To desperate foreign correspondents. I, I'm sorry to tell you this business is collapsing. I, I don't know that it's a growth industry. Um but 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 uh yeah. Give it a try, see how it goes. Um I will, and and in all of these travels, like you know, the reported existence of gorillas and bandits, notwithstanding, like 
you've been fine, right? Like, it's not, like, you say that the world has become more dangerous, but not, I mean, tell me, like, yeah, like, let's just finish there. Like, what, how do you judge that? It's it's really tough, right? I mean, I think I think that I think that like it's clear that it's that it's that it's much more dangerous than it was, and you know, journalists obviously you know face perils like you wouldn't. I'm on the board of the committee to protect journalists, and you know, journalists face face danger all over the world. I mean, right now we're living through a a, a war in in Gaza where that has been the deadliest conflict for journalists since you know probably the deadliest in 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 sort of modern modern history. Um, so there's 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 that, um, but I think there's also just just like the unpredictability and the, you know, kind of like, I, I do think that the world has become quite a bit more dangerous. I mean, our, you know, um, uh, you know, Evan Gershkovich in, um, in, in, in Russia, uh, the Wall Street Journal reporter who was, who was arrested by the Russian government and accused of all kinds of horrible things uh, when in fact he was just doing journalism. So I think that the, the peril is very, very real. And, um, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's bandits, that's, or, or, or gorillas, that's one thing. Sometimes it's a government that wants to, to jail you. Um, so, you know, the, the threats are very serious and very real. And I think that, you know, um, that, that, that I, um, I feel very lucky to have worked in an era where it was still possible to, you know, kind of wander across borders, um, you know, in, in, in some of these difficult places. But I think the world has become, has become more complicated and more difficult um, than the kind of like halcyon days of, you know, kind of post-Cold War, like, it's all going to be okay. Pax Americana is going to keep us all safe. And, you know, we can travel unmolested and undisturbed. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then and 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 that has meant that uh you know you really do you really do have to to watch your back stay safe out there and we will we will push off that yemen trip for a little while yet <laughs> yeah i might give it a little bit more time lydia paul green thank you so much oh it's my pleasure Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.